Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello there, welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, where football tactics and data analysis are the things that get our juices flowing. I'm Ali Maxwell. Regular co-host Michael Cox takes a break this week. He mentioned how seriously he takes his birthday just a couple of weeks ago, and he has been celebrating that well. And we're going to bring you a data scouting special today with Mark Kerry and with John Muller, who are experts in the field for the Athletic. With the January transfer window one week away, the guys have identified a clear area for each Premier League team to improve on and they'll put their head of recruitment hats on to suggest a player or two that could solve those issues. John Muller joins us again on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Great to have you on, John. Happy to be back. I nicknamed you, whether you liked it or not, the big ticket on the last episode (laughs) because uh, you're making a name for yourself already on The Athletic for big ticket pieces. And one's gone live this morning, quite by chance. The No Touch All-Stars, it's about. Uh, And any piece, personally, that references two-time NBA champion Shane Battier, that's a piece for me. So run me through it. What's the idea? Why did you go for this? Yeah, so the name for this one came from an old Michael Lewis article called uh, The No Stats All-Star about Shane Battier, who was a star in college but not in the NBA because he wasn't as impressive an an athlete. He didn't record a lot of stats, right? But he was still very valuable to his team in ways that the box score didn't capture. And football stats kind of have a a similar problem where most of the stats that we talk about are based on on on-ball events, which we call touches. Uh, And there are certain players who get a lot of minutes for their team. They're clearly very valuable for their squad, but they don't get a lot of touches. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean and how can we measure the things that these guys are contributing? So kind of looking ahead to the next generation of of football analytics. Yeah, you've picked out a few players from the Premier League and I was really intrigued by the concept and the players that you've selected, I'm not going to give away who they are, but I sort of nodded along as I read it. It was a a fantastic piece, which I enjoyed very, very much. Mark Kerry joins us this week as well. Hello, Mark. Hi, Ali. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm well, mate. You took a look at Leeds on site this week. Three defeats in a row for them uh, against the, well, the best teams in the league, you have to say. But 14 goals conceded. Uh, And as I read your piece, the phrase, live by Bielsa, die by Bielsa, was at the forefront of my mind. Yeah, I I think you make a good point as well, that they have just played three of the top four. And they've actually got the fourth of the top four to come in their next game as well. So there's a caveat there, obviously, which I include in the piece. But uh, yeah, I don't think Bielsa is ever going to really change his style. I think that's the the style that's got leads to the position that they're in. So it's clearly a valuable one. But I think just their injury record and the fact that the you know the personnel that they're able to put on the pitch is just not you know their strongest team. I think that's fair to say. So I think that it's almost yeah thrown to the wolves a little bit that they're being asked to implement that same style when they maybe haven't got the same personnel to do so. And it sort of yeah bore fruit in conceding fourteen goals in three games. It's going to be an interesting next few weeks and months for Leeds United. I think that's fair to say. Today, our focus is on the January transfer window, which always fascinates me because I think deep down, I sort of turn my nose up at January signings. And I think it's because partly due to, you know, the improved uh, the improved analysis that that numbers and data have given us. But I think it's fairly established that in January, in general, there's fewer players available. Those that are available are available for a reason. It might not be a a particularly uh, attractive reason. You don't get the best value at times, and it's probably not the best conditions to be buying players as well. The success rate, I think, for January transfers in terms of making a tangible impact, both in the short term and the long term, is, is fairly shoddy, really. I think we know that a healthy recruitment diet for a football club doesn't have January window transfers as one of its key food groups. And yet, if you have something you need to achieve in May and you're not on course yet, or if it's slightly in the balance, 
One really, really good signing, one key contributor added in January can help you get there, John. Yeah, and I, I think that all those drawbacks of the January transfer window that you mentioned are, are true. But I've also heard about clubs that prefer to sign players in January because it gives them that kind of few months lead in where they're training with the team, but there's not a lot of expectation. And so by the time they hit the ground after preseason in August, September, they're really much better integrated uh, with the team than summer signings. I suppose that's that is a very interesting aspect of this is that you know there's a, an extent to which this can be part of succession planning right Mark at most clubs whether they like it or not are clubs that will sell players in the summer sometimes players that ideally they wouldn't want to sell and planning for their replacements and dare I say it, getting their replacements in the building early to give them that bedding in period that John has mentioned that is generally a sign of a club that's thinking mid to long term in their recruitment strategy but we mainly focus on the short term on this podcast, more about what I mentioned, guys that we need to make an impact straight away in order to improve the the output on the field. Yeah, completely. And the, the, it's going to be pretty quick fire for everyone. So I guess strap themselves in, I guess, for the <laughs> listeners. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a combination, I guess, of those who, um, from our information, from our sources, from the, the club writers who have been rumoured um, with the clubs and also a bit of uh, data sprinkled in from myself and John <laughs> of those who fit the profile quite neatly for the sort of player that, that maybe these clubs are looking for. Yeah, transfer window speed dating is how uh, I like to describe it. And it's going to be quick fire, as you mentioned. What does each team need and why? And then a player suggestion or two from you guys. We'll go in alphabetical order, which means we start with Arsenal under Arteta. Mark, which areas of the pitch could they improve on? I think this is kind of one of the easiest ones, isn't it? Because um, the whole saga around Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is definitely caught everyone's attention so mm. we, we did a piece recently actually myself um, James McNicholas and Art de Roche did a, a piece looking at some alternatives um, to Aubameyang who could be really good and the some obvious names on there Dusan Vlahovic of Fiorentina Jonathan David uh, of Lille of course um, but it's kind of an obvious one but it's someone who they've been rumoured with is Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, again whether that's realistic in terms of getting him through the door in January probably mm. not but again it could be useful um, to get embedded in of course he's, st- he's still injured at the moment but um, his goal scoring rate last season especially was was fantastic 0.5 per 90 so that's one in two in terms of goal scoring rate the location he gets into uh, some of the best around right between the width of the goal posts um, his xg per shot is 0.25 so the average shot that he takes essentially is, is a sort of a one in four chance which is very very high quality in terms of the chances he gets and you think of the the likes of Odegaard and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe Saka providing him with those chances in central areas could be a perfect fit. Vlahovic is an interesting one isn't he because I, I'm, I'm kind of projecting on you guys I'm much less of a data guy but he's got to be of interest to the data guys at the moment he's scoring 0.9 Serie A goals per 90 from an XG of 0.57 per 90 there is a lot of overperformance in there but a lot of Vlahovic fans are pointing out you know use your eyes this guy is incredible the things he's doing is incredible and so far repeatable so he's certainly someone who's going to be on the lips of uh, a lot of the top clubs uh, in terms of transfers I, I think in January because he's already, uh, I believe, said that he won't be staying at Fiorentina in the long term. One to watch for sure. Uh, Next up, we've got Aston Villa. We spoke about them on the pod last week. Uh, Where could Steven Gerrard's Christmas tree formation use some extra decoration? (laughs) I like the nod to to last episode there. Um, I think there's a couple of places. I think that they're looking for backups in central defence. I think they've obviously got you know, strength in, in central defence already, but just in case they, they need a bit of uh, strength in behind, then they're looking at that area. But losing uh, Marvellous Nakamba in the central midfield area, I think that they could want to look for long-term replacements there. They've obviously got strength in midfield, which we spoke about last week as well, but um, mm. central areas I think would be uh, valuable. So one player that, that's, again, rumoured and would be a good option is Ariel Romeo at uh, Southampton, quite a combative midfielder you know maybe won't offer too much in the way of attack but he'll put a foot in he'll make a lot of challenges a lot of tackles a lot of interceptions and and get the the ball into those key areas for those more attacking players which we know and we spoke about Villa have have got a a glut of uh, themselves so yeah he's he's one good option Um, another option which kind of stylistically could could fit the profile I wanted to ask your opinion on this Ali was Philip Billing of 
Bournemouth, of course, and he's maybe not quite the same profile of player as Oriol Romeu, but he he can support the attack and get quite up and down a lot and link the play. I thought I just wanted to get your EFL uh, perspective on that. Yeah, well, I suppose my my thinking, as you discussed, Romeu was that he would probably fit more into the central role of those three uh, that I suppose Douglas Louise probably has uh, to his name at the moment, uh, sitting at the base of midfield. Billing would suit one of the outside central midfield roles really well, I think. He's certainly this season, particularly in a, a really advanced number eight role in Bournemouth's 4-3-3. Uh, what's been most notable is how well he's combined with the fullback Jordan Zamura and the winger Jaden Anthony. And, and I don't uh, just mean in a, in a very sort of obvious combination way, but Billing's very happy ending up as the widest of those three with those guys making inside, uh, runs inside him, those uh, underlapping runs from the fullback and the winger. Uh, or he's very capable bursting into the box and providing a goal threat or cutbacks himself. So he's been really impressive from an attacking standpoint. He covers ground really well. He's about six foot four, six foot five. He's got a, a physical presence, although I wouldn't call him an outstanding ball winner despite that size. I think he could certainly work here. I think it's a really, really interesting name to flag up. The, the, the one thing I would mention is we, we did talk about those outside central midfielders dropping into the space vacated by the fullbacks last week with them getting so high and wide. I wouldn't necessarily see Billing's skill set um, lending itself that well to being quite an important part of build-up if that was necessary. He has played a lot deeper before early in his career, so it wouldn't be completely alien to him. But I do think the role that he's in now, which is you know kind of more onus on him to arrive late into the box and attack the box, uh, is probably what suits him best. So yeah, a really, really interesting name to look at. Uh, Brentford, they'll know all about Philip Billing, having come up against him in the championship last season in the playoffs. Uh, looking at the current betting odds, uh, just as a way of working out sort of probability of outcomes this season. I, I dare say Brentford will know these off by heart. Mark, uh, they suggest a, about a 90% chance that Bees will be a Premier League club next season, such has been their good start to the campaign. And that means they could probably start planning more long-term, maybe some of that succession planning we were talking about uh, long-term. Where do you think they will be looking to upgrade? Yeah, well, Brentford are data darlings as well aren't they so I trust yeah. everything that they do in the from a recruitment perspective I, I imagine they are probably looking yet yeah, more long term and probably in that regard maybe looking more in the summer for for that but I think more in the short term they're from what I understand from Jay Harris our uh, Brentford writer is looking more for kind of cover in that right wing back area mm -hmm. um, and it's a bit of a knock on effect isn't it because Sergi Canos who typically has played right wing back this season He's more naturally attacking, isn't he? We know that from from the EFL, of course, that he had to go a bit more kind of central and a bit more attacking um, when Ivan Tony was out because of COVID and it had to kind of, you know, Thomas Frank had to shuffle the pack a little bit. So for reasons like that, having cover in, in right wing back areas is kind of important here. So mm. I think they were rumoured with um, a player called Vanderson um, from Gremio, a Brazilian uh, right back, 20-year-old, but it looks like he might be going to Monaco now. So maybe that might not be realistic. But one player who, who did profile similarly in his attributes to Sergi Canos from sort of yeah, right wing back was um was Callum Britton at Barnsley. So again, asking you, Ali, from a EFL perspective. I know that it would be a big jump. I know that Barnsley aren't doing so well in the championship at the moment, but maybe stylistically and it could be another example of Brentford having a bit of smart recruitment, maybe not looking yeah. for the obvious candidate. Would there be any sort of validity in, in Callum Britton being an option there? I could certainly see why they'd be interested. He's He's got a lot of experience with someone of his age, so there'll be a lot of data, a lot of video, uh, video for them to look at. And as you say, we kind of just trust them and their opinions maybe better than our own. Uh, he's got great energy for sure in that right wing back role. Very tidy on the ball as well. Not necessarily a big difference maker in, in the final third, I wouldn't say. Not, not poor necessarily, but not someone who I see as being one of the best yeah. pure attacking wing backs in the championship. I, I, I might have some concerns that he'd be ready to step up to the Premier League straight away but maybe that's the point of of them bringing him, him in as cover right wing back there's plenty of them in the championship and and he's part of a group of of guys who I think are all kind of eight out of ten at the moment none of none of whom are necessarily screaming ready for the Premier League just yet for me but you've got people like James Bree Ryan Nyambe uh, who, who are having really good seasons um, and a year Dom as well of, of Barnsley who's a really tidy player and then a couple of wild cards you've got Sorba Thomas at Huddersfield who stepped up from the National League uh, basically made his first start in the championship this season and has been one of the players of the seasons now capped for Wales as well 
deadly, deadly delivery from wide areas and set-piece situations. And then an even bigger wild card would be Isaiah Jones, who's just burst onto the scene at Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough as the right wing back in there, 3-5-2. He's sort of more naturally a winger, has unbelievable speed. He's just putting the fear of, of God into championship defenders at the moment. Brilliant on the weekend uh, on the TV against Bournemouth, a, a man-of-the-match performance from him. And, and they signed him from non-league as well. He's only before this season played football with basically Queen of the South on loan in the Scottish Lower League. So he would be a classic Brentford, um, you know, by the potential, by what he could be and what he what we could develop him into, again, rather than ready to play straight away. Um, but he's certainly a very exciting player, that's for sure. From Brentford to Brighton, from Benham to Bloom, of course, old friends, current rivals and sensational owners of their football clubs, you have to say, uh, with data at the heart of it, Mark. Brighton won four of their first five in the Premier League and none of the next 11 so they're in an interesting place right now what do they need? Well it's similar to, to last season I think it's fair to say that they need a, a centre forward who will actually stick the chances away given that Brighton are very good at creating good chances that's that much has been said for a long time now um, and it's something which again I did a piece um, I think it was at the start of this season with with Andy Naylor our Brighton writer um, looking at a few options uh, there um, so it's kind of a similar story, really. They, they were rumoured with Darwin Nunes uh, of Benfica, but don't think that's going to sort of carry on anymore. But one option I think would be really good would be uh, Eddie Nketiah, obviously of Arsenal. He's got a hat-trick in the week in uh, the EFL Cup, and he is a deadly finisher. I think he just needs to to have more game time. And it's that debate, isn't it, with Nketiah as to whether you stay at Arsenal and maybe don't guarantee yourself a, a starting place or... You go elsewhere and maybe get more of a starting spot, but you may be feeding off fewer chances on average. But mm. I think he could be a, a really good option, providing that you know he wants to go because it, it's he said that he doesn't want to maybe sign the contract at Arsenal. I, I realise I'm throwing a lot back to you, Ali, here in terms of EFL options. But I think that, again, speaking with Andy, one good option um, we thought would be quite well suited to Brighton stylistically could be Tyrese Campbell. Um, at Stoke and I just wanted to get your thoughts on on him because he, he's a very versatile player as well he can play all across the front line yeah he's he's one of my favorite players in the championship for sure about to turn 22 and and last season at uh, the way he started it I would have thought he'd be in the Premier League by now already his goals and assists per 90 numbers were the best in the league but picked up a, a cruciate ligament injury in his knee in October, November time. So um, he's only just come, come back from that. He's only made three starts so far this season on his return. So it might be a little early for him to be making such a big step up. I know Stoke are being very careful with him physically, but as a player, absolutely someone I could see making the step up for sure if he can stay fit. And very particularly for Brighton as well, if finishing is their biggest issue and I had to pick top three finishers in the championship Campbell would certainly be up there the way that he takes his chances um, he's predominantly left-footed but he can go the other way as well he's deadly one-on-one -on -one, uh, and he always seems to find the corner that the player he reminds me of in terms of his finishing from yesteryear in the championship current Premier League star is Jared Bowen who always just seemed to find the corner a little bit more precisely with a little bit more power than, than the others at that level so I think he'd be an excellent addition to Brighton to the Premier League I'm just not sure if January would be the right right time for that uh, necessarily what about Sean Dyche's Burnley because they've only won one league game this season it's a one win six defeat eight draw record what could help turn some of those draws into wins I think more goals simply um, but interestingly I don't think it's necessarily the, the strike that they need because Maxwell Cornet has been a, a revelation for Burnley he's been a real kind of injection of quality and I think that with the the new ownership or the new sort of regime then I think they are more willing to go into you know the transfer market and go a bit deeper in their pockets. So I think that kind of a, a central midfield option or more of an attacking midfield option and someone in, in wide midfield, given that Burnley are quite regimented, I guess, in their 4-4-2. So yeah, more of a creative midfielder, um, whether that's wide or more centrally, would be uh, an option that Burnley, I think, should go for. And I think they were linked with, uh, again, two EFL players, Harry Wilson, now of Fulham, um, and Ryan Christie of, of Bournemouth now in the summer. They would have been the sort of profile who could, well, especially with Harry Wilson, his delivery is obviously fantastic. He's able to chip in with a goal. He's, he's a very creative player. I think he would have been kind of perfect for Burnley in terms of his delivery, you know, to the likes of Chris Wood. Um, 
another option and a lot of these players are coming from the EFL and it shows that the the strength of the EFL especially for the these sorts of maybe lower half um, Premier League sides but the the attacking phenomenon at the moment is uh, John Swift at Reading I don't know how well suited he he might be to Burnley system and I suppose a few names that we were thinking of for Burnley would maybe have to adapt to their very regimented 4-4-2 which I imagine John Swift would have to do the same yeah I I mean a year or two ago, I would have thought this wouldn't make any sense whatsoever because Swift, to my eyes anyway, and I think his reputation across the league was of a, a really pretty technical midfielder. He's come through at Chelsea, played for Brentford, ended up at Reading, you know, capable of, of picking a pass and taking a, a mean set piece, but possibly not impacting games realistically that much, uh, maybe due to a lack of physicality, whatever it might be. Uh, that's definitely changed this season. He, he looks like a real killer now. I don't know whether it's a mentality change or bulking up physically, which he seems to have done, or shaving his head, which he did. <laughs> And getting rid of those nice curly locks that he had previously it's it's the whole package and he's 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 become you know one of the players of the season so far in the championship eight goals and nine assists already before christmas in a reading side battling relegation you know he has been phenomenal as for the burnley system it's hard to know exactly where he would fit because in order for him to play you wouldn't play him as a central midfield in a 442 so you'd probably have to play him off the left where he'd be a kind of wide playmaker type coming inside naturally onto his onto his right foot but that's where they've already got Dwight McNeil playing uh, in a in a position that he knows so well so it's not an obvious fit for me and yet you know if they could make it work he's absolutely a player who I think could add quality straight away you know we've talked about players uh, providing assists and I think it's worth pointing out that that's exactly the kind of stat that teams sometimes overpay for um both because assists are extremely noisy, right? They can mean a lot of different things and because they don't necessarily translate from one system to another. Uh, and so while there are kind of flashy top line stats that draw a lot of attention and may inflate a, a player's transfer fee, uh, that's not necessarily where a club wants to look if they're looking mm. for value in the January window. Well, that, that's absolutely fair enough. And I know that, you know, the very fact of being your team's designated set piece taker can help massage those as well. And Swift very much ticks that box too. Uh, whether or not he would take the, the set pieces at Burnley would be another question. Uh, let's move on to Chelsea now. Uh, Mark, where do you think they could use a new face? You know, clearly one of the better sides in the Premier League, maybe not having their best moment to use a, an Ancelottiism. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely true. I, I think that. Well, yeah, especially it seems to be a thing with Chelsea managers that they just have a, a fantastic first kind of 12 to 18 months and then things st- start to get ever so slightly rocky. I don't know whether this is just Tuchel's current version of that, but uh, I mean, they're strong in all departments, really, aren't they? Um, but I guess injuries is always the thing that curtails some people's season. And Ben Chilwell was absolutely flying, wasn't he? At left wing back, he was scoring uh, for fun. He was creating loads as well. But I think whether or not Chelsea go into the market for a new left wing back or left back sort of profile is sort of yeah determined by whether Ben Chilwell does make a, a recovery sooner rather mm. than later I suppose so I think Tuchel's kind of said as much so if they were to go into the market I think it would be a, a left wing back there's been rumours of Teo Hernandez at AC Milan um, maybe going to, to Stamford Bridge and I think that's a non-starter um, I really don't see that happening especially if Chilwell is to, to come back fairly soon one sort of outside shot, which I, I thought could be an interesting one to at least discuss, would be Luca Dina at, at Everton, given his situation. So you obviously, you can be driven by the stats and the data all you like, but the context around kind of what's going on in the footballing world is also of, of high importance. And, you know, it's clear that he wants out and maybe Benitez wants him out. And he's a very attacking left back or left sided uh, player. And he's got a great delivery on him. You know, he's, he's very creative and and it could be a really good fit for, for all parties there. So that would be one which I think could be at least worth, you know, considering, worth worth talking about. I really like the Dina shout, um, both because, you know, he's clearly underused where he is right now yes. and because his skill set isn't a great fit for Benitez's Everton, Everton team, but it is a great fit for a wingback role. He's, he's a more attacking player who's not going to, uh, you know, sit back and make the defensive stop. So why not use him as a wingback the way that Chelsea have? This is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. We are talking January transfer options in the Premier League. Next up, a big batch of teams, including both Manchester outfits and two clubs from Merseyside as well.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Next on the docket is Crystal Palace, who have probably overachieved many people's expectations so far. Early in Patrick Vieira's tenure, they're in 11th place, 20 points. Uh, Another side with a lot of drawn games, uh, but going well. Is there anything obvious needed here? I think it's it's a tricky one with with them because they yeah they have been fairly kind of up and down but you know that their the quality of their performances are fairly strong. I think speaking to Matt Woosnam, our Crystal Palace reporter, it looks unlikely that they'll do business in in January, but I think a few things kind of depend on whether they will or not. So if they do, I think it would be in the forward forward areas. I think it would be um, a striker and they've been potentially rumoured with uh, Borja Mayoral at uh, Roma. And I think he's technically sort of owned by Real Madrid, but he's long loans elsewhere. 24-year-old striker. He scored 10 goals in Serie A last season, which was, in terms of his minutes played, was kind of one in two sort of goal scoring rate, which is pretty strong. So if it were to be anyone, I think he could be um, one of the options that they are heavily rumoured with. But yeah, just a few, potentially just a, a bit like Brighton, just finishing off those chances because mm. with the likes of Conor Gallagher coming from midfield, you don't want to put too much sort of goal-scoring pressure on him. I think they just need to maybe have a bit more of a prolific striker. Benteke has been doing a bit better this season, but you can never bank on him, can you, unfortunately? One player that I think is really interesting uh, that obviously is not on a lot of radars here is Valentin Castellanos, who's the MLS Golden Boot winner, uh, who comes from New York City FC, where Vieira coached before he went to Nice and then eventually to Crystal Palace. And one thing that that makes him great is that he's good not only in the box at, at scoring goals, but he just has an insatiable work rate off the ball. And I thought it was interesting when we were going down these striker wish lists that Arsenal want a striker who can press, but Arsenal doesn't really press. You know, they're fifth to last from the league in passes uh, for defensive action against. Uh, but you've got teams like uh, Crystal Palace and like Brighton that are fairly pressing and that are also looking for a striker. And I think that it's important to look at what strikers can contribute defensively mm. as well as in the box. John, do you, do you think there's a reticence? I was going to say still a reticence, but just a general reticence for Premier League clubs to recruit straight from MLS? Yeah, and for good reason. MLS is far below the Premier League level, and it's it's a hard jump up. Um, I think we saw that even with Miguel Almiron, who was you know one of the best players, if not the best player in MLS a few years ago, went to Newcastle and is doing fine now, but there was an adjustment period, right? So I think that to go from that level, you either have to be very young and developing quickly, or you need a little bit of, of time to adjust. I enjoyed the period of time where it felt like Landon Donovan just popped over for a couple of months at the start of every year on loan. Um, in fact, one of the teams he played for was, was Everton and they're up next. Uh, of course, no Marcel Brands as director of football anymore. He is out. It's Benitez all the way for Everton. Uh, and what does he need to help, I was going to say, turn things around, but I don't want to be accused of going too far. What does Benitez need to improve results? Yeah, I think this is one of the, again, a long-term thing that they need to to change. It's something which I, I did a piece again with, with Paddy Boyland, our Everton writer. Maybe it was before Benitez even came in. So it shows that for a, for a long time they've needed uh, cover or a, a long-term replacement at right-back, which it's a shame as Coleman obviously being a very strong but ageing right-back for Everton at the moment. I think what's interesting as well is that he's probably fairly well-suited to Benitez's style of play because you can be very compact in your in your defense and not necessarily you know be more marauding up and down the the right hand side which is why the the Dina you know shout is is quite an interesting one because he's his stylistic profile doesn't actually lend itself to a Benitez style team but right back I think long-term cover there whether that's short term or of course long term would be something which I think Everton need to improve upon 
one name which has been heavily rumoured, which I think would be a really good shout, would be uh, Nathan Patterson uh, at Rangers. He's only 20 years old, but he's sort of playing second fiddle because he's so young um, to James Tavernier, who's a fantastic right back for Rangers, one of their kind of talisman, talisman, I should say. Um, and yeah, I think that he could be a, a really good option, very aggressive on and off the ball and would be really well suited to, to an Everton style of play. And it's sort of a similar profile to a Seamus Coleman, but just many years younger. So I think mm. Nathan Patson could be a good shout there. A lot of Leeds United's talisman have been unavailable recently and they've certainly suffered for it. Uh, I mean, Bielsa is not known for being a huge fan of transfers for transfers' sake, nor is he known for being a, much of a fan of, of chucking new signings straight into his starting eleven. Having said that, with the injuries that they have, you'd think there's a decent chance that if Leeds could get some quality in, they could have an impact on the, on the second half of their season. Is there an area of the pitch in particular that we think they could do with looking into? Yeah, another one I think where it's been a long time or a long term kind of position that Leeds have wanted, I guess, cover in more so than kind of changing is central midfield and sort of defensive midfield more so because they've obviously got one of the best defensive midfielders in the league, really, in Calvin Phillips. But he's obviously injured at the moment and it's always been the, the case that if he is injured or in, is out of the team, then they lose a lot within that central area because he's so good at what he does. So someone who's reliable cover for uh, Calvin Phillips, I think would be um, would be strong. I think looking again to EFL, I think there's been rumours of of John Swift um, and Lewis O'Brien at, at Huddersfield. I think there's been long term rumours in, in that regard. I don't know what you think, Ali, in terms of Lewis O'Brien's suitability. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a good sort of diminutive midfielder, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, I think trying to project almost any player onto Leeds United you're always so aware of the specificities of Bielsa's system uh, and what they're going to be asked to do. And and, and a big thing in, in more general terms, stepping up from the Championship to the Premier League is the pure increase in the speed of the game and the physicality. I've had it said to me that you actually have more time on the ball in the Premier League because it's a little less chaotic, the, the game and the flow of the game in general. But there's no doubt that as physical specimen, Premier League players are another cut above EFL players. Lewis O'Brien is one of those players where it, it makes so much sense, the, the Bielsa system. It's almost like he's been sort of angling towards it just with his very playing style and his performances over the last few years. I could certainly see him playing in one of those midfield roles uh, in front of Calvin Phillips because he's just relentless as a runner. He's got quality on the ball, a nice left foot. He looks to be adding a little bit more of a goal threat to his game in terms of in terms of attacking the box as well. He's not an incredible technician but he's 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 more than good enough and he's certainly shown enough over the last two years for a fairly poor Huddersfield side to 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 be the sort of player that you'd think yeah he could kick up a few more gears under the right tutelage here so certainly an interesting suggestion Lewis O'Brien and he wouldn't have to move house either which always makes me happy (laughs) uh Leicester City are well they're not going as well as as I'm sure them or their fans would have wanted they've won six and lost six Uh, so far this season and they've scored the same amount of goals as they've conceded so it's all fairly level par for Leicester uh, which isn't necessarily what they're after what might help get them back towards the top six levels I think they've suffered with injuries quite significantly this this season I think that in terms of those goals conceded they need a a stronger central defence really when so many are out. They need a stronger sort of depth in central defence. Um, Yannick Vestergaard obviously came in. I don't think he's he's done too well overall. I don't think he's the type of profile of player for, for Leicester City. And it's a real shame that Wesley Fofana got injured at the start of the season. Or I think it was in pre-season because he's he had a fantastic year last year. And I think that he would have obviously solved that issue because he would have played. Um, so I think central defence um, is something where they probably do need a fair amount of cover. Um or just bring in some real genuine quality. And I think they've been rumoured with James Tarkovsky. Um, Again, I don't think that that's, I think that's a non-starter. I don't think it's a wise choice given his age profile. And, you know, maybe stylistically he could, you could sort of maybe suggest it. But I think if Leicester are looking to carry on their smart recruitment, which they've been very good at recently, then I don't think it would be Tarkovsky with the greatest of respect to Tarkovsky. I think, one option could be um, Maxence Lacroix. I think we spoke about him actually of Wolfsburg um, a couple of weeks ago when we were speaking on um, on the podcast with Rafa Honigstein 
Um, and Wolfsburg haven't been that strong recently. Um, you know, this season they had a great year last year, but they've been fairly poor in comparison, I think it's fair to say. But he's been something of a shining light um, in that regard. Only 21 years old. He's another one of France's incredible uh, group of, of centre-backs, young centre-backs. He reads the play really well. He steps out really aggressively in his defending and he, he's really able uh, and capable at carrying it forward. So I think that he could be a, a really good option if Leicester were to kind of be a bit more, I guess, aggressive um, in the in the transfer market because he wouldn't come cheap, I suppose. Liverpool are an interesting case, Mark. I mean... It's always tough to imagine how such an incredibly high performing and more specifically settled starting eleven could be improved. You know, it feels almost impenetrable at this stage that someone could be signed in January and be a starter for Liverpool by the end of the season. And yet you always are keen to have a little more depth and particularly when the African Cup of Nations comes around. So uh, what's the answer here? Yeah, well, I was exactly going to say that in terms of the African Cup of Nations. That's the key thing, isn't it, here in terms of Liverpool and then maybe if they were to do any short-term recruitment, I think they'd have one eye on that rather than normally they do their bigger recruitment, obviously, in the summer. Um, I don't think that they will bring anyone in personally, but there's a clear drop-off, isn't there, in quality in the front line with Minamino and Origi while they are you know, fairly good players. I don't think they're anywhere in the same league as, as obviously the likes of Mane and, and Salah. Um, we spoke about him, just you briefly mentioned him before, but Jared Bowen would be a, a good option, I think. Um, I don't know whether he actually, you know, would sign in January, but there's been rumours of, of him coming in and being a, another potential option in the long term. But I think one option who it's kind of basically recruiting from within or promoting from within is a young player called Cade Gordon, who's only 17 years old, but plays is more in the academy for Liverpool at the moment. He's played an EFL Cup game against Norwich, but fantastic young player, left-footed, really fast, really direct. And I'm just wondering whether or not he might make the step up just in the short term. And it would almost feel like a new signing when um, when Salah goes to, to the African Cup of Nations. So maybe this was a bit of a, a sly one in not actually saying uh, someone to sign, but maybe someone to, to step up um, from the academy. You've got Harvey Elliott as well there, yeah. you know, rehabbing his injury. You wouldn't want his pathway or, or his pathway to first team minutes kind of cut off uh, upon his return by a, a January edition. It's a it's a difficult one. I, I suppose I, I did think to myself, this might even be a tough sell to someone like Jared Bowen, as ridiculous as that sounds, moving to, to a team challenging uh, on all fronts. And yet, I guess Liverpool could point at the signing of Diego Jota last season uh, in January and say, well, you know, he was... At the time, it seemed evident that he was being signed as the the fourth, uh, as as the fourth choice of that front three, if you will, outside of Firmino and Salah and Mane. And, and here's Jota having started 26 games for Liverpool uh, and scored 19 league goals in, in the calendar year. So uh, it's not out of the question, that's for sure. We we know that anything can happen really uh, in football. Uh, Manchester City next, another side who it's hard to imagine, and it's actually quite scary to imagine them getting any better than they are right now. But could they? Uh, yes, I think they could. Um, I mean, again, I don't think they would do business in January in this regard, but I think you're almost playing with FIFA with, with Man City, aren't you? The, the sort of players that they were probably going to go for, there's a lot of rumours around, are the likes of Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, the biggest, some of the biggest names in, in Europe. So I think Darwin Nunes would be another option. I know we spoke about him before. But I think it, it's the whole debate with, with whether or not Man City genuinely do need a, a number nine, a striker, because I think Michael did a piece recently in terms of their issues. Well, they don't have any issues, but if they were to have any issues, it would be against the teams who play more of in a low block where you just need the, the, the occasions when you just have maybe a few chances and you need them to be stuck away by a clinical striker more so than the way that they play, which is obviously, you know, a lot of rotation of the forward line. So... I think that would be the sort of position they'd look for because of those reasons against maybe the low block. But yeah, they don't really need anyone imminently, should we say. You know, I love Erling Holland. Uh, I think he's one of the best strikers in the world and I hate Erling Holland to Man City. And I think it's bizarre that this is even, you know, something that we're talking about right now because the way that he plays, uh, you know, his best runs are they're long, they're late in the game when legs are tired, they're in transition. He's not a striker who excels against a low block, and he's not a striker who contributes a whole lot in possession. So it's really hard to see how he would fit into this Man City team unless they became uh, much more transition-based, as they have been you know, in certain 
times in the past, but they're not really right now. And I think that to go from no strikers at all to a striker who only wants to play in transition would be too much of an adjustment for this Man City team. And you really would be playing FIFA in a way that, you know, PSG is doing and it's not working out that well for them. That's really interesting. Uh, well, they're crosstown rivals, Manchester United. They have uh, an interim manager in charge who has brought a fresh new style and a lot of suggestions that fresh new faces might be in order to better suit that style. Yeah, and, and again, it's something we spoke about um, a few episodes ago in terms of the who might be the winners and losers of Ralph Ranić coming in. And I think central midfield is key to that. Um, I think that Fred might be someone who might benefit from the Ranić style uh, in terms of the way that he kind of buzzes about and he's got that kind of high energy. Uh, but then someone who on the ball in central midfield might be kind of really strong is, is something where I think Manchester United would like to to look. I think just in terms of the, the profile of player who would be really good would be Ryan Gravenberch at Ajax, who's doing really well at, at Ajax, only 19 years old, hugely talented, which not surprised at when you think of a player who plays for Ajax and coming through their system because he's only 19 you think that he's very fairly inexperienced but he's got Champions League experience he's been a regular since the start of last season and he's just I, I think he would be a really good option to, for at least Manchester United to consider and um, whether or not they have and I think another would be De Dennis Zakaria uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach who carries the ball fantastically well he's really good in central areas and tight areas to be able to progress uh, forward, which again, I think Manchester United need. Um, I think there's rumours of him maybe going to Dortmund um, in terms of you know, the near future. So whether or not that's a, a non-starter, I don't know. But I think central midfield and someone to progress the ball forward through the lines is, is definitely key for Manchester United. Right, this is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. After the break, seven teams left, including the club, that have, well, really kept the transfer rumour industry alive so far this winter. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yes, that team, of course, is Newcastle United, fresh from their big takeover. So much discussed about what will January look like for Newcastle United. What should January look like for Newcastle United? They are in need of points. Are they in need of some new players? They are, and it's difficult to know where to start, isn't it, to be honest, with, with Newcastle. I think that if we were to look in the, sort of the most obvious place, I think it's centre-back, central defence. I think that Newcastle have the worst average, I think, on a per 90 basis in terms of their expected goals against in the league. So they're just giving up quality, high quality chances and, and a lot of chances to the opposition. So they need to stem the flow quite quickly. And centre-back's obviously key to that. I think if they've got money to to throw around, as we understand they do, I think that they could maybe go hard for Sven Botman uh, at Lille, who is a fantastic young uh, defender. I think that maybe his and many other players at Lille's stock might have gone down ever so slightly because they're not doing quite as well this season, having won, uh, won the French League last season. So he could be a really good option. Very, very strong in the air. Very, very strong full stop and able to um, you know, pick a pass really easily and could bring quite a bit of composure to Newcastle's defence because it looks like they're definitely lacking composure at the moment. Hmm. Another side down there, Norwich City, 10 points from 17 games, but only three points from safety, such as that group of four very poor teams in the first half of the season. So it's certainly not over yet, but their transfer record when it comes to Premier League output 
has been questioned, Mark. They need to make amends here. They do, and I think they need they need goals. Simply put, they they created some um, some good chances in in certain games where you thought, okay, they they look like they could be a good Premier League side here, but they just don't seem to be able to put them away, and they're very very reliant on Temu Puki, who just produces a high proportion of their their goals and their few goals at that, and it was the same last time they were in the Premier League. So, I think they need a, a centre forward. I don't know whether they're able to to look sort of more long term. They might have to have a short term option, which brings me to one option who might be quite good is is Daryl DK. Um, again, Ali, getting your view on this from his time at, at Barnsley and yours, John, as uh, as an American um, of him who could be you know an option. He did really well um, when he was was playing in England, and I think that why shouldn't they be you know in the conversation for someone like DK? I think that there's potentially an option to to loan with an option to buy for for someone like him and wanted to get both your you know views on on Daryl DK mm. well fr- from my perspective and I'd love to hear from John how DK got on this season in MLS I believe his goal scoring record was impressive certainly to end the season with Barnsley in the championship he he really burst onto the scene and it was his dynamism in all aspects of attacking play, really, that, that stood out. He suited the the launch and squish style that Barnsley were implementing at that time. Um, you know, he was contesting a lot of a lot of aerial duels. He was pressing a lot, uh, and he was you know he was using his body really well in that sense. And he scored some fantastic goals as well, in a way that had some people questioning how sustainable it would be. I suppose there was there were a few absolute rockets scored uh, from outside the box, uh, some really impressive finishes, and maybe there were one or two. Uh, matches where his finishing looked a little below par. So I found it difficult to to be sure on DK, I suppose, albeit I really uh, enjoyed watching him play uh, and going up another level to the Premier League. Uh, again, I wouldn't be sure of immediate impact and quality in terms of finishing and, and goal scorer's instinct. But one issue I have with Norwich is their lack of dynamism at the top of the pitch and Pukki's movement is fantastic. But I don't get the feeling he's causing... Premier League defenders sleepless nights like he did for championship defenders consistently. I think DK could still do that. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear from John, who will have seen more of him and more recently, how he's tracking, whether he's still developing and and where he, he, he could see him fit, where the Premier League's the right place for him. Personally, I think it would be hilarious if Norwich added uh, another controversial American to go with Josh Sargent. Yes. Because this is, you know, these are guys that uh, United States national team uh, fans argue about all the time in DK's case he's not a technical player he's not an especially tactical player uh, and his numbers really are not very good except for one uh, the difference between his goals and expected goals is tremendous uh, he has what my friend Matt Doyle from MLS calls a high x wallop he hits the ball hard and it goes in the net uh, and traditionally we say that you know that's not a very sustainable skill uh, that when you're outperforming your XG, that's probably not going to continue over the long run. It has so far for DK, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily expect that to translate to the Premier League level. What I thought was interesting about DK at Barnsley was how all of his other skills kind of suited, like you said, that launch and squish, skyball style. He's a very, you know, he's a big physical player, uh, and he can, you know, when the ball is loose, he can get involved and he can throw his body around. But if you're trying to play at the Premier League level, I'm just not sure that DK is there yet. Mm. Interesting one. I, I certainly would like to see it. That's for sure. Uh, Southampton are up next. They're, they're another team. I feel like there's a few we've discussed who just haven't picked up as many wins as you would have wanted or expected, dare I say it. Just three wins in their 17 Premier League games. I know there's certainly a feeling amongst the fan base and neutral observers as well that Hassan Hutel, for all his, his obvious qualities, maybe hasn't been backed in the transfer market as much as other managers at Premier League level. What could he be after in January? Well, yeah, I think the, the position I think that he's, he's looking for, which, again, speaking to our Southampton writer, Dan Sheldon, is someone who's able to link the midfield and attack a little bit more. Um, so sort of a number 10. And we know that a Hassan Hootl side obviously plays a 4-2-2-2 two, 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 um, and quite high octane at that. And again, more taking into the context of, of what's going on in the footballing world, I think I'm, I'm posing as a question, could Deli Ali be a, a good option or the best version, I guess, of Deli Ali be a good option? Because he is, he's, you know, he's very energetic and aggressive when he is, you know, on top form. He he had a really good performance against Liverpool recently, which looked like signs of the sort of Deli Alley of old. I think that in a 
in a Hasenhutl system, a bit like a Pochettino system where it is more kind of energetic and he's able to be very much on the front foot and kind of free. And given the situation that he might be looking to, to move on or Spurs might be looking to move him on, could he be a, a good option for, for Southampton and that Hasenhutl style? Very interesting suggestion, Mark. He would, if he does leave, be leaving Tottenham Hotspur, of course, uh, who I think they're in a good moment uh, to to use that Ancelottiism one more time. Conte's Tottenham, Conte's first transfer window as Tottenham manager, and they head into it on the up. Uh, what could they add to keep the good times rolling? Well, again, I guess thinking of the, the system that they play, similar to Southampton in terms of the specific style, obviously it's a different style to Southampton. They're very clear, aren't they, in terms of Conte's use of wing-backs. Um, and I think that he would probably like an upgrade in that that right wing back. Um, you know, Serge Reguilon on the, the left hand side, strong player in terms of getting up and down. I think that Emerson Royale, while he's only just obviously arrived at, at Spurs, isn't that sort of profile of player. So I think someone who's a bit more attacking minded at, at right wing back would be um, someone that Conte would wish to to recruit. I think that he wants someone like Ashraf Hakimi, who obviously he had it. Uh, into Milan. So I looked into someone who profiles similarly to Hakimi. Um, and one player who, who came up was uh, Zeki Celik uh, at Lille. So again, it sounds like I'm trying to empty out Lille here, but he's another player who can get up and down, very you know forward thinking. He can mix up his, his sort of passing. He can support the attack quite well. Um, so yeah, I think that Celik could be a good option to, to at least explore. And again, given that Lille aren't doing so well at the moment, could they maybe be looking to get him for a bit of a cut price? I don't know. You know, Lille's various owners have been trying to empty out Lille too, so they <laughs> should be sending you a cut on this show. Um, one, one thing that I'm thinking about here as we talk about wingbacks who are such a hot commodity right now uh, and, and attacking fullbacks as well is as the fullback position gets more diversified, like we've talked about uh, on an episode of this a couple couple weeks ago, at what point will we start to see kind of wingers who are out of favor at that position get converted into wingbacks? Because when you're talking about guys like Achraf Hakimi, like, that's a really expensive uh, player to, to buy. But if you get a right-footed winger who's not great as an inverted left winger, uh, you know, but maybe has some defensive ability, that might be a better pool of players to look at for a wingback position. Well, Conte won the Premier League with Victor Moses at right wing back. So there you go. Uh, you, you can think outside the box and Conte can certainly maximise uh, a player with the right skill set in those areas. That's for sure. Uh, we move on to Watford now. We've got the three W's left. Uh, Watford could use some W's. In fact, it's four L's in a row for them uh, heading into Christmas. What do they need, Mark, and why? Well, I think that they, again, they need reinforcements, I think, at the back. Um, I think they've they've had some injuries. They've got a lot of players who are likely to go to the African Cup of Nations as well. So I think they need to make sure that they don't lose too much kind of cohesion from from the losses there. I think centre back and left back are key areas to for them to prioritise. They've got injuries at left back, and Danny Rose hasn't been in the best form uh, of late. So whether or not you kind of persist with with Rose and you know play him into form, or maybe look into the the transfer market, I think is. Is up for debate. I think that one player who's been um, rumoured is a, a young 21-year-old Andrea Cambiasso uh, at Genoa. Who, again, you think about the context here of you know Ranieri knows the the Italian market, the Italian league quite well. Um, this you know Cambiasso is a very exciting young player, quite versatile. He can play right or left back. I understand um, could be a good option. Um, so whether or not. Yeah, it would it would be realistic. I think there's another question, but I think that Ranieri would certainly have eyes on players who could fit the bill within uh, the Italian league. It's a centre-back that plays for QPR in the Championship called Rob Dickey, who I'm expecting to be part of quite a lot of transfer rumours in January. And given Watford's obvious need for a centre-back, I do wonder whether he might be on their radar. I'm not sure if that's Watford's preferred pool uh, to fish in but uh, an interesting one. I was so excited when I saw the name Cambiasso there, but it's not <laughs> even spelt the same as Esteban, so that's boring. Uh, West Ham next, uh, having a, another excellent season, you have to say, but maybe some depth in one key area. Yeah, again, they've been kind of shot by injuries very recently. It's, it's interesting that at the start of the season that, that David Moyes is one of the 
the managers who really likes a settled side doesn't need doesn't really like to make substitutions all that all that much kind of within the game but he's also named an unchanged side i think seven times this season which is the most of any premier league manager so he likes to have a settled 11 where he can but when the options sort of taken away from him when he's got injuries i think that he's obviously got to maybe look for other options so center back is is unfortunately where they've been shot by injuries um, obviously, Ogbonna and, and Kurt Zuma injured recently. And I think Zuma might be coming back sooner rather than later. But Ogbonna looks like a long-term uh, injury. So strength in depth there, I think, um, could be key at centre-back. So someone we mentioned before, it might be a bit more suited, less so for Leicester, more so for West Ham, could be James Tarkovsky. Um, a bit more suited to the style of playing that kind of deeper block and a bit more... I think, as we've said before, meat and potatoes defending. Um, that's not to discredit what you know West Ham are about, but I think he would be more suited stylistically to West Ham, uh, more so than uh, Leicester. Love meat, love potatoes. Um, Wolves come last, and we spoke about them briefly last week. Mark, you'd written an article or you'd collaborated with Tim Spears for a piece on, on Wolves, and they're an interesting side at that point, maybe even more so one week later, where... You know, we talked about whether they could loosen up a little on the attacking end. Uh, and in the two games since we spoke, they've only scored one goal, <laughs> uh, but they haven't conceded any and picked up four points. So, you know, currently in eighth place in the Premier League, they have played uh, a, a good few games more than a lot of the teams around them. So it's a slightly false position, but another really intriguing side, I think. And uh, another side who, who you do look at the squad and you think that there's definitely space for, for a couple of additions, whether it's in January or whether it's smart additions in the summer. Is there anything obvious here? Yeah, I think one thing which is kind of indicative of their results is that there's, it seems to be a bit kind of samey in the sense that their their midfield maybe lacks that bit of dynamism, that bit of kind of creativity where you're not sure maybe what you're going to get. So maybe someone who can break the lines, who can strive forward, whether that's carrying it or breaking the lines with their passing. And lo and behold, another Lille player who could fit the bill very well there, um, being Renato Sanchez, who I think is is rumoured to to want to move away anyway, um, and maybe rumoured more with higher profile uh, clubs, shall we say, with the likes of AC Milan and and Arsenal. But given the Portuguese connection that Wolves have, could that be an option? Again, a realistic option at that that to return to the Premier League and have another go at sort of showing his qualities, which he clearly has. Um, could Wolves be the platform to allow him to do that? And then if he you know, performs really well for Wolves, then maybe move on um, higher still. Or would, does he want to just obviously cut straight to a higher profile club and cut his teeth you know, back at a higher club again? I don't know, but I think he would be a very suitable option um, for Wolves to have that dynamism. Not necessarily to be the, the person who will maybe assist or score goals, but be the kind of the pass before the pass and you know, be that player to unlock the attack a little bit well, a little bit more. Google confirms that Renato Sanchez's agent is little-known Portuguese agent George Mendes. There you uh, go. I'm not sure if Wolves have his contact details, but um, if they could get hold of them, then it might be worth a conversation. Guys, that's been January Transfer Window Premier League Speed Dating. Thank you so much for taking part. To Mark and to John Muller as well, uh, excellent work being done on the Athletic site, even with the holiday season upon us. If you'd like to read John's big ticket piece from this morning, and I suggest that you do, head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics to sign up for an annual subscription with 33% off today. This is our 53rd and final podcast of 2021. If you've listened to all of them, thank you. What an effort. If you've listened only to one of them, again, our massive thanks. If you have listened to all of them, I calculate that's around two full days listening to us, which is quite something. Time well spent. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think so. What a treat it's been. Uh, as well to to steer the ship um, and to cover so many different topics week to week as well. I, I really feel really lucky that we're able to do that. You know, we started the year with an episode called What's Going Wrong at Chelsea, uh, which is funny to look back on given that five months later they won the Champions League. We also built a colossal glossary of football's roles and positions. That was a popular series that I think you could go and listen back to over the next few weeks if you'd like to. And there was plenty that seemed frivolous, but I think were worthy exercises. We created quite unique FC. Uh, We built a hypothetical Premier League winning team out of 
unnamed players rated simply between one and five. Uh, we tried to construct a Premier League challenger last week, uh, playing strictly a Christmas tree formation. Uh, a personal highlight for me was probably feasting on the European Championships with our Euros notebook series, including going to that semi-final Italy-Spain with Michael and Tom Warville as well. That was great fun. We've had a rebrand, we've had a name change, and we said Auf Wiedersehen to Tom Warville as well. Uh, and if you guys are up for it, I'd like to do it all again in 2022. So thank you so much to Mark, to John, to everyone who's appeared on this podcast. Special shout out to Michael Cox as well. He's the reason that we're all here, of course. Every share, every comment, every tweet, every piece of support is hugely appreciated and fuels us to keep going. So one solitary week off. We'll be back very soon, though, on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I look forward to January when we'll do What's Going Wrong at Chelsea again. <laughs> The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.